Hi there, I'm Sue Alvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 147. And today I'm going to be talking about teenagers and My daughters, Imogen and Sophie, are both joining me again, so it should be a really good discussion. So, hello Imogen. Hello. Imogen is my young adult daughter. It's not that long ago that you were a teenager, is it? No, and I definitely remember exactly what it was like. So So you're going to have some wonderful input today, I'm sure, as is Sophie. You are a teenager, aren't you? Yes. You're 17? Yes. So you're right there. You know what it's like to be an unschooling teenager, and you're going to tell us about it, aren't you? That's the plan. Okay then, but before we start on today's topic, I thought we'd just go around and share a couple of highlights of the week. What we've been doing since we last met a week ago, because here we are in my studio again. Yes. I hear the bedroom. (laughs) And, well, the weather's sort of similar to last week, isn't it? We're still in summer here in Australia. Actually, the weather's been quite good the last couple of days, hasn't it? It has. It's been the sort of summer weather that's enjoyable not I think too it's hot the kind of summer that people expect australia to be you know the blue skies the bright green scenery and the bearable heat yes <laughs> instead of the typical what it's actually like where the sun's so bright you have to squint and you're sweating your face off because it's so hot and muggy it's been that way all summer hasn't it it's it has. just so uncomfortable an abnormally warm summer record-breaking. But anyway, Imogen, what's your highlight of the week? So my highlight of the week is starting work editing one of my passion projects. So I mentioned in last week's podcast, I think, that I had finished the most recent round of edits on my next fantasy novel, The Shattering Song, and I sent that off to beta readers, which is exciting and a little bit nerve-wracking. And to distract myself while they're working on that, I've started work editing a passion project of mine that I've been working on for probably the last four or five years, which is a real change of tone, and it's just nice to concentrate on something else for a while. So that's sort of my big thing of the week. Okay, Sophie, what about your highlight? Um, My highlight was actually more to do with Emmy than it was with me, (laughs) but I managed to fit in over the weekend recording not one, not two, but six videos for her booktube channel. Booktube, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I watched the last one, which was about a book haul. Is that the last one? Yes, that was. And I really was impressed by all the transitions, the editing of the video. It was really quite smart, yeah. You looked like you had a lot of fun putting that together. I got a little carried away with it. (laughs) And today, Imogen, a new book review video coming out yes there is on your channel which is called write rewrite read okay so if you haven't subscribed to imogen's channel hop over to youtube and hit that button hey oh yes (laughs) my highlight of the week happened yesterday jimarez and i went to sydney which is a big trip for us we spent five and a half hours i think traveling 
first of all in the car, then on a couple of trains, and then working, and then doing it all in the reverse at the other end of the day. But it was all worth it. We went to the art gallery in Sydney and we saw a modern Masters of Modern Art exhibition, an exhibition that's here temporarily. It, all the paintings come from a museum or an art gallery in Russia. And we got to see oh, some beautiful paintings. And I bought a book afterwards. We had such a fantastic time walking around the art gallery. And afterwards, I found the, a book about all the paintings in the art gallery shop. And I was so excited. I thought, we can go home. We can look at all these paintings again in the book and really enjoy them. So as soon as we got on our first train home, I got the book out and I started looking and I was so disappointed. <laughs> the pictures in the book, the photos did not give me the same sense of beauty and majesty that the other, the real life paintings gave. And it really made me feel that we have to see, if possible, paintings in real life. That they're just not the same when you see them online or in books. And to have that opportunity to see these famous paintings, yes, that was certainly a highlight of my week. And to my surprise, the ones I liked best were Picasso's. And I've never really understood Picasso before, but I came home just thinking of the shapes and the colors. And now I want to do some more reading, some more watching of videos, some more looking at photos of his artworks which aren't going to uh, be as good as a real thing but one day maybe I'll get a chance to have a look at a few more Picassos in real life. So that was my highlight. So should we get on to the topic girls? I think we should. All right then. I posted about this on Instagram yesterday. I said that we were going to be talking about teenagers and I would have a teenager and a former teenager with me to discuss the topic and if anybody had any questions then please leave them in the comments and we'll see how we get on and I listed a number of comments off the top of my head so we might start there so I was thinking that when kids unschooled kids get to the teenage years Quite often, parents start to panic. The years appear to be running out. We've got, it is time maybe to get serious, to tighten up, maybe introduce some structured learning. Learning has become serious business. It's not very well when kids are little, isn't it? You let them play, they can read and write and enjoy life, uh, just have fun and relax. And of course, that's what leads to learning. But a lot of parents start to panic. When a child yeah, enters those high school years. So tell me what you think about that. Do you think that's true? And if it is true, what would you say? Well, I definitely think that parents do tend to start to panic a little bit as the children hit the teenage years because they definitely do see that the formal school years are running out. And parents do want to give their children the best education they can. But I also think that the fact that they're suddenly so panicky and, you know, tightening up so much and becoming much more structured in what they're doing is a mistake because, for one thing, teenagers start to think that they're, that they're doing something wrong. As you're, When you're a teenager, everything is about you and about what you're doing. And 
you tend to think that, oh, my parents don't trust what I'm doing anymore, or maybe I'm not doing well enough, or maybe I'm just not smart enough. Um, so teenagers do tend to have problems like that when parents start to tighten up on their education. But the other thing that I think parents miss as they, you know, start to make schooling more structured is the fact that the teenage years are the time when you most need to have the freedom, when you most need to be allowed to follow what your passions are. Because when you're a child, you know, it's very easy to unschool a child. Children are interested in everything and it's just a delight to be around them when they're, you know, unschooling and just learning everything. But when you're a teenager, that's when your passions become the most important to you because what you're passionate about is hopefully going to become your career and your life path as you grow older. And the less freedom you're given, the less time you have to explore what those passions are. So the things that you're interested in become lost under, you know, rigorous maths education and formal science projects and things like that. And you're so busy trying to fulfill a curriculum that will hopefully prepare them for, you know, university and getting accepted into courses and things that teenagers no longer have the freedom to figure out what they're actually going to do when they reach that, that um, part of their lives, if they want to go to university or what they want to do for their future. So you find that people will tighten up and become more structured in what they're doing and their children will lose what passions they have because they just don't have time to follow them. And so they might appear to be directionless. And while they appear to be getting a good education that will get them into a university, they don't have the time and the space to figure out where they actually want to go. And it's just like being at school then, isn't it? It like is. When I went to school, I was kept so busy by the what school wanted me to do that I didn't have much time left over to explore the things that I was interested in. And then I ended up going to university and studying a subject that I wasn't passionate about. And I don't think I was alone in that. I think a lot of kids did then and still do go off to university, not really knowing what they want to do, but it's the next stage in their pathway. You think so? I think so. It's what's expected. It's what everyone says, you know, what are you going to do when you finish school? What are you going to study in university? It's just the expected next step. And I think that we could momentarily be relieved that our child has got into onto a university course. Yeah? Yes. Any university course. They're going to get onto a university course and get to the next stage. But that doesn't solve the problem of what they're going to do after when they've got their degree if it's the wrong university course. Exactly. Because I found it so difficult to get a job afterwards. I just was not interested in my subject. And yes, maybe I shouldn't have actually gone. There might have been another pathway. But I think that pushing kids down a recognized pathway isn't uh, the right thing to do. Yes. Yeah, so it's just like Sophie is not going to university. She's not studying a university degree um, because you're doing. I waited around because I didn't know what I wanted to do straight off, and now I'm studying what I'm actually interested in, which is a certificate in fitness. And and if she was going to do, you know, the typical school years and university years, then she wouldn't have found what she was as interested in, would you? Oh, no, definitely not. I think that a lot of parents worry if they do let their children 
follow their passions, right, during the teenage years. But as they're getting older and older and older, well, that sounds like they're <laughs> turning into old people, doesn't it? <laughs> We're all fogies. <laughs> but parents, time for parents seems so, oh, I don't know, it's pressing on them, you know? Yeah, so you're reaching the end of the period where you can influence this and you've got to end. But fit so much in. The end The end result is coming and you've got to make sure everything is perfectly in place to, to turn out this perfect human being at the end. That's right. So you've got to make um, the most of every single minute, every single hour, every single day. So it looks like time is running out, right? Yes. And a child might not have found a passion that they want to go on and pursue after the teenage years, after they finish uh, homeschooling in a legal sense, you know, as a registered homeschooler or whatever, past the age of maybe 18. Yeah, they might be 17 and they have no idea what they want to do and the parent might say, look, I gave my child all this freedom and they're just not interested in anything. Perhaps I should tighten up, make them decide upon something yes Mm. what do you say to that one well i say for one thing there is exactly no pressure for a child to go on and do university immediately off just because that's what's expected doesn't mean that that's what should happen it might be that the child needs another year or so of exploring and just thinking and living for a while to figure out what it is that they're truly passionate about where they want to go because what they might truly be passionate about is something that they haven't discovered yet. And if given a little more time, they might realize, oh, I really love this and I really want to follow this on further. Or it could be that they found a passion and something that they really would like to do, but it might be that it's not something that people value and people necessarily think that this is something that you can pursue and or that you should be doing. And it, and it could just be that the passion the child has is something you go, oh, no, well, that's no, that's no good. You ought to be doing something constructive with your time. So I think that there are a couple of different options for what could be happening. But I also think that passions can appear unexpectedly. Oh, yes. I remember when Charlotte was 17 and she had no idea what she wanted to do. She had had the passion of chemistry for a few years, hadn't she? She did. And we were looking at how she could study chemistry at university being a homeschooler. Yeah, how do you get into university without a practical component? How was she going to persuade them that uh, this was the right course? She was the right person for the course. And one day her passion for chemistry just ended. It just disappeared. And that can be a bit heart-stopping for a parent who thinks that their child... Uh, is on a particular pathway. And, you know, I could have congratulated myself. I've done it. I've done it. She's got a good passion. Now, how are we going to fulfill that passion? How is she going to go on and study? That's our biggest problem. And I even found a way, I think, that she could have gone on and done chemistry at university. So I thought it was all mapped out. Yes, I could tick that one off my list. I'd done it. And then she turns around and says, Mom, I'm not interested in chemistry anymore. And I said, well, what are you interested in now? And she says, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And for months, I don't know if you remember, she sort of just went from one thing to another. She read books, watched videos, but nothing gripped her. 
And then one day she just so happened to come into the family room where Sophie, you, you might remember, and Gemma Rose and I, we were watching a trailer for the Blender software for animation, how to do 3D animation. And I didn't even bother telling her about it because I thought all my suggestions had come to nothing. I'd say, Charlotte, how about this? Mm, no, I, I don't think I'm interested in that, Mum. So I didn't even bother when she came into the room looking up and saying, hey, come and watch this with us. But she stopped and she said, hey, what are you watching? And I told her and then she went off and she found the trailer video. She downloaded the software herself. She started playing around with it. And before you knew it, before I knew it, she was looking at her options for doing animation. And she's almost finished a degree now in digital design, hasn't she? Yes, she has. That passion sort of appeared at the very last moment. But what if a passion doesn't appear, even at the very last moment? I mean, I could sit back then and say, well, I trusted that it would all work out. And it did, by the skin of our teeth type thing. But that doesn't always happen, as you said. Sometimes kids need a bit longer, don't they? Yes, and I just think that I think that there's a lot of pressure to know exactly what you want to do by 18, but maybe you don't know by then, in which case there is I don't think there should be any problem in a child taking a bit longer, not deciding what career path they want to do, but maybe getting an interim job, you know, work, working in a cafe for a bit of money or something and just experiencing something outside of you know, the usual, and just taking a bit longer to figure out what it is that they're interested in. Okay, Sophie, you're a prime example of somebody who disappeared off to work at a fairly early age. So tell us about what unschooling as a teenager looked like before you went to work and then how you incorporated some work into your unschooling years. I mean, you're still working, but you're no longer... A registered homeschooler because you've passed the age. But I still think you're unschooling. We all are, aren't we? Oh yes, it doesn't stop. So tell us about how unschooling looked, say, between the ages of 13 and 15, because we're talking about the teenage years. Um, it was quite honestly quite similar to when I was younger. I was following what I liked doing, exploring the things that I was interested and passionate in. Such as? Such as a lot of it at the time was photography related and I was working on pr little projects I had going about such things. So I didn't wake and say, hey, Sophie, you're a teenager now. It's time we sat down and started thinking about this seriously. We just didn't even know the beginning of the teenage no, years. No, it just sort of happened. Just con same as the day before? Yeah. Just continued on. My age was slightly older. How about you, Imogen? Uh, for me, my unschooling um, as a teenager looked pretty much exactly what Sophie said. There it was no split between what I was doing before I was 13 and what I was doing afterwards. I had the same freedom to follow what I wanted to do. And anything that was more structured that came into my um, education was things that I put there. At one point, I was looking at uh, studying medicine and becoming a doctor, so... I myself added in advanced mathematics and a science course and physics and things like that. And those were things that I chose to put in, but they were not required of me. And outside of that, I just continued doing the other things that I like doing following my other passions. So I was still doing music. I 
explored my own writing, I was watching videos, reading books, just exactly the same as what I was doing before I was a teenager. Okay then, but Sophie did something that none of you other girls or the, even the boys did, did at 15, didn't you Sophie? You decided to go out and get yourself a job at 15. I know Callum went out and got one maybe when he was 17, but you were the earliest one that hopped out into the workforce. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you incorporate that into your unschooling week? Well, quite honestly, a lot of what I was doing, we could fit it in around quite easily. I used my free time to do my hobbies and I worked, got a little bit of money, which helped me then with affording to having some money so I could branch out further into some of the things I was then doing, like buying more equipment for my photography and things. Okay, so but you still, in your spare time, pursued your passions? Oh, yes. I was. I only started out working a couple of days a week, so the whole rest of my free time was spent doing what I loved doing. I think, though, in the end, you got a little bit more work, didn't you? Oh, yes. Quite quickly, I ended up taking on more and more shifts. So tell us about the advantages of working as a teenager. Well, apart from the, you know, the obvious advantages, you know, you're able to afford more things, so you've got money. So whereas beforehand I had to rely on, you know, in working around things or you had to support everything, all my hobbies, I was able to then push out further, get more things I needed to do what I wanted. And it gave me a lot of practical experience out in the world. You think it gave you a view of the world different from school kids? Like, you experience the real world when you go out into to working. You see what the world is actually like. In school, it's so structured and everything is so is so disciplined and everything that you don't get a real sense of like what the world really is. So they say that, um, well, we say that unschoolers are out in the real world all the time because we are. We don't, we're not in school, but entering the workforce at a young age also gives you another view of the real world. Oh, it definitely. Matures you quicker? Yes. More sense of responsibility, maybe, which is really funny because a lot of people don't actually value the sort of work you're doing, which is cafe work. They say things like you should be still in school studying and you should go to university and they value different skills. Even the people I was working with would automatically assume that you have to be studying to want to work a job like that and they'd be going, you know, what are you going to study? What are you trying to... Why are you here? Why are you doing cafe work? Because it was never a respected form of work. So do you think that if a teenager is still searching for their passions, it's good to get out there, get themselves a part-time job, get some other type of experience, which is very valuable, and parents shouldn't worry that, for example, cafe work is all they're ever going to do. And that's the... Because that's what some people think, isn't it? You go out there and get that type of job and then parents say, oh, look, you should aim higher. You should go to university. I'll tell you one thing. No one would settle for cafe work for more time than they have to. It's great for a while, 
but after a certain amount of time, you just get fed up of doing that kind of slow, hard work every day. So you don't want to make people's coffee for the rest of your life? No, I don't think I want to work like that forever. So it's not settling for less if uh, a child decides that they're going to spend some of their time doing that type of job. They definitely won't do it forever. No? No. But it will be good for them for a while? They'll learn a lot from it, and they'll get a lot of useful things out of it. And while you've been working in the cafe, you've been continuing to explore your passions and to refine what you're interested in and what you want to do in the future? Exactly. And the money has allowed you to continue... Uh, with your passions and actually has paid for your certificate course, hasn't it? It has. Okay, so you're going down a slightly different pathway. You're not going to university. You're bypassing the experience, at least for now, because the door is never closed, is it? I just think this idea that parents have, and I had it early on too, is that you have children, you bring them up perfectly, by the time they get to 18, they're all set to go out into the world, get the perfect job, set up for life. Parents, they clap, you know, pat themselves on the back and say, hey, I did it. I gave them everything. And now they're going to have a perfect life, perfect career. But it never works out that way. No, nothing is ever quite as perfect as you think. But the door to education never closes. There's not an expiration date on what time you can go to university and train for some career. I mean, look at dad. He went back to uni as a mature student and studied to be a teacher. And that was what he really wanted to do. And he didn't do it at a time when anyone would have said, Oh, it's time to be, you know, it's time to be changing your career and changing everything you're doing. You know, people would have said, Oh, that time has passed, but it hadn't. I think that parents feel a great sense of responsibility for the education and upbringing of their children when, in fact, parents need to give kids the skills and the opportunities to take that responsibility upon themselves. Do you agree with that one? Yes. It's a child's education, yeah? Yes. And we're here to help you and to support you and encourage you, but I think you have to take ownership of your education. It's not all up to a parent. No, what a parent needs to do is give kids a good base to build off. So they need to give them space to to discover things and they need to you know, sort of help them along. But what they need, really need to do is give children a love of learning that's going to that's going to continue with them because parents only educate their children for you know a certain number of years. There are a lot of years of life where children need to be learning by themselves, you know, so they need to have that love of learning so that they can carry that on with them because if they're stifled during school years, you know, people who go to school, like you've said um, often, once you got to the end of school, you closed your books and said, no one can make me learn anything ever again. Um, what you don't want is people coming out saying, I never want to learn anything ever again. You want people who are going to finish their formal school years and still be interested enough in learning that they'll go, I want to I want to know about this, I want to learn about that, I want to follow this interest. So you want to give them a good base from where they can go, yes, I want to continue learning and I want to continue exploring things, not I'm done with education forever. And I think getting the perfect job, just say you did, right? Do you think that would really satisfy someone for the rest of their life, doing the same thing in the same perfect job forever? Or do you think that... Everybody has to keep on growing and learning 
and education just keeps continues and life continues to be an adventure that you don't know where you're going to end up but you're going to end up somewhere oh yeah but to have that perfect job isn't as good as it sounds like a dad you know he got a job when out of uni but now mid years he went back to uni and he's got a totally different career but i think that is uh common that people can have more than one career over their lifetimes because i guess you get fed up with what you're doing you might be doing that same job for 40 years who wants to be doing the exact same thing for 40 years there's and plus everything is still changing so much the job that you have now might not be the job that is applicable in the future as things change so you don't want to think i'm going to get this one perfect job that will set me up for my entire life you want to think i'm going to get a job now that i love but i want to keep this love of learning so that one day you know i might want to change my job and i want to be passionate about things enough that i'll be ready to step out and do something different Well, cuz if what you're doing imagine you went to uni yes, yes. you did a degree in professional writing and publishing now you're writing your own novels and yes you could imagine yourself writing novels for the rest of your life hey i could at the moment yes but you don't know what's going to happen you, your music might come back into things you might who knows you hear about writers who then start writing for tv series or other opportunities come along hey exactly you, what you're doing now is never going to stay what it's never going to stay your job forever you're going to want to change and shift and do things no matter how much you love what you're doing at the moment but you you're writing young adult novels at the moment maybe your writing will branch out and you'll do something writing in a different area exactly okay yeah or you'll you'd never know what's ahead and that's the exciting thing isn't it and you need the tools to deal with that and the, and the tools to deal with the changing world yes so rather than trying to educate children for this one linear path to get into university and making sure they have the skills just to get into the university and get that one job what parents need to be doing during teenagers um you know during the teenage years of education is equipping children to learn through the, the through the rest of their lives and you know teaching them and helping them find you know their interests and such and a love of learning that's not going to end with formal school years i think that's where a lot of people get into trouble if they jobs disappear for example are uh, in the middle years like dad right and then adults lose their confidence and they don't know where they're going in life and they lose who they are and they can't see ahead anymore about where they're going or what they want to do can you see that yes because the world changes and jobs finish and a job they thought they would have for the rest of their life is gone and then people just don't know where to go anymore you need that oh what's next attitude yeah yes to keep on going to feel that you've got something to contribute But anyway, we're getting off teenagers and into older people. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so just imagine that people want unschoolers do want to go to university, right? Yes. Because it can it can do, people can do that, can't they? Oh, absolutely. Just because we're unschooling doesn't mean that you close the door to a university education. If an unschooler wants to go to university, they can get there. Yes? Yes, absolutely. So how do they get there because you don't you didn't have a high school certificate which all the school kids get have to get into university so how did you get there Well for me personally what I did was I did two or three units of an open university 
of, of Open University. So you don't need to have um, a high school certificate to study through Open University here in Australia. Um, all you have to be able to do is have a decent level of reading and writing and, you know, just a very basic education and you can get into those courses. You, and then what I did was I did a few units of that. And from that, if you want to go into a face to face university as, and study on campus, which is what Callum did, then they will accept those units as a substitute for having an HSC. You bet the better your marks are for those units, the uh, more likely you'll get onto the course of your choice. Yes. Yes. So having it's a score. Yes. Um, and the benefit is that the units you study can be interesting units if you want, and they you can, can pick and choose them exactly. Where instead of having to do the entire HSC, you just do the, you can just do part time university for six months or so. And something Callum found was that. He got into university on the course he wanted to do um, using this method and some people he knew from school who wanted to do the same thing with their HSC scores couldn't get into the course they wanted. So he ended up being in a better place for it. Yeah, he just spent six months doing three open university units. I think there was a basic tertiary learning one, critical thinking, and one about human biology and that he, because the course he wanted to do was a Bachelor of Nursing. Yes. And he did so well on those um, units that he got a high score and he competed against the school kids and got a place on an on-campus course. And he also had a lot of references that we added to his application from St. John Ambulance. So I think if you're passionate about something, it gives you an advantage. Yes. And you know what you want to do and you've got this already got a, a range of skills and knowledge before you actually even go to university. Yes. And as a note to this, Callum didn't do any structured school learning in his teenage years either. He was also an unschooled teenager. So you can get into university. Oh, yes. Easy. Exactly. There's a way if you want to do it. But not all unschoolers will choose that pathway. And that's quite okay. Yes. Okay, then I've got a list here and I'm getting a bit lost. <laughs> That's normal. What can we talk about next? Let's talk about um, how the teenage years can be difficult for both teenagers and parents, or at least parents sometimes expect them to be difficult. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? Oh, yes. Okay. So some parents will get to the age of 13, their children will get to the age of 13, and then they will start commiserating with each other, won't they? Oh, yes. I've heard them a lot. Parents will, parents will be talking to other parents who have children who are about to turn teenagers. And like, oh, you're about to hit the teenage years. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. And mind you, a lot of these parents are not shy about saying it with the children in the room. So these children who are about to become teenagers will hear this. And, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we, Sophie, that this is, um, that that's actually not going to help their case at all. No. What ends up happening, I think, a lot of the time is parents have this fear of the teenage years. And so, you know, they tighten up, they get strict, you know, they say, okay, freedom's over, let's knuckle down, make sure that we avoid these teenage years. Avoid the teenage years. Avoid these terrible teenage <laughs> years. And by doing so... They sort of make the terrible teenage years a reality. They do all the 
what they think is the right things and it turns out to be all the wrong things. So suddenly the kids feel like they're not trusted, they're not worthy, you know, that they're terrible people. And they sort of just started living like that because what's the point? And a, a lot of teenagers are faced with a bit of a problem because they're supposed to be becoming responsible and growing up to become adults. And, you know, it's supposed to be in the years where they're maturing and being allowed, you know, to grow. And it becomes a time when parents are really knuckling down and going, no, you have to do what we say. You have to follow what we do. You have to do the, follow these rules. And they're not given freedom and responsibility and trust as they need, as they're sort of growing older. In fact, it's like they go backwards. Parents give them all this freedom and trust when they're younger. And as they get older, it's all taken away just at the point where they really need it and where they would really appreciate it. And I think that becomes a source of a lot of conflict as well. So parents need to give their teenagers the opportunities to learn to deal with things uh, while they're in the safety of the family, but they can make their own decisions and they can be, parents could show that they trust their kids. Of course, everyone's going to make mistakes, aren't they? Oh, yes. Nobody's going to act perfectly. And if uh, we give teenagers total freedom, do you think some will make mistakes? Everybody makes mistakes. Adults make mistakes. So teenagers are definitely going to make mistakes. But it's better to make the mistakes while they're at home with yes. their family and then you can learn from them within the safety of the family? Yes, because then you have that support network to fall back on when you make this mistake. And what you don't want then is to have a, a teenager make mistakes and come back and then it com comes back to the family and the family is like, oh, you should have done what we said and this and that. And you should have followed the rules. You want a place where people can come back and, you know, yes, it was a mistake, but they, they, they're going to want the support so they can learn and grow from it rather than recriminations because they didn't follow exactly what the parents said. So you just said something about there about friends. Yes. Do teenagers, can teenagers and parents be friends? And is it essential that they are? Go well, on, Sophie, I think this is your topic. <laughs> yes. You're always talking about uh, parents and friends. I got some really good um, quotes from you in my blog stories <laughs> and in previous podcasts as well. If we go back a few podcasts and if you go looking for some other interviews I've done with Sophie, she has said some wonderfully illuminating things about parents and friends and teenagers. I'll put some links in the show notes. But anyway, Sophie, let's repeat some of what you have said previously. Can parents be friends with their kids? Absolutely. I think that it's more important for you to be friends with your teenager in those years because that's when they need someone who they can trust, who will love them, and who they can go to. So if teenagers don't have their parents as their friends, they're going to go somewhere else looking for a friend. Yeah. So if parents aren't willing to be there, a friend for their teenagers – then they can expect their teenagers to go somewhere else to tell them their problems, someone, you know, find someone else to share their problems with or their inner thoughts or their whatever. Yeah. And all the good stuff too, because it's wonderful being friends with a teenager. It's not just all problems. I mean, it's, it's just fun, you know, that we have some great times together, don't we? We help each other and there's, we have down times and we get through problems. I'm not saying that your, um, the problems are to do with mistakes you've made, but I mean, just life is difficult sometimes. Finding new jobs, that type of thing. 
and uh, it's not all let's go out for lunch and have a fun time together, but it certainly is fun having teenagers, I think. I love having lots of teenagers. Well, I've been through it a number of times, and we're down to our last two, and I'm going to miss having teenagers, so I can't really understand why people are, you know, frightened of teenagers. You're not that bad, are you? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm an absolutely terrible person. No, you're that not. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> so we can be friends with our teenagers, but I think people get the wrong idea about what that means. They think that if you're friends with your teenagers, then you're going to be giving in to them all the time, that you're going to try to uh, be popular, be a popular parent so you your teenagers like you. Can you see where I'm getting at? I can't explain it because it all sounds like we're just, just, you know, I'm your friend, so let's just have a good time all the time. It doesn't matter about the chores. If you don't want to do the chores, don't do them. You know, I'm your friend. Let's, let's be, have fun together. Oh, that type of thing? Yes. But that's not how it has to work as with parents and teenagers, I don't think. So they equate it, they get the wrong idea about what being a friend is. They don't make their kids well, I don't make, this is where it gets difficult. I don't make you do things, but they think that they have to make kids do certain things in order to bring their kids up properly. And if they don't make their kids do that, then it, they'll be failing in their duty as a parent. They're not going to bring up a good child. And if their children would just run over the top of them. Yes. Yes. That's, that's definitely what they believe. But I think where they're going wrong is the fact that what you need is a good relationship and a good basis to build things off. And the thing about being friends with a child is the fact that you're not, it's not to do with absolute freedom and letting children run rampant. It's to do with trusting and respecting as well. You give them trust and respect. They give you trust and respect. You help them. They help you. It's, um, it's, it's a much better relationship. And especially as they get older, you know, teenagers, are growing into adults. They're so a lot more complicated than people seem to think it is. Exactly. And it's so, something that starts when you're younger, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's quite a complicated relationship. And in the long run, whether you have respect for your child, it's not about you know letting them do whatever they want or knuckling down and making them do everything. It's about building up a basis of trust and respect so that they'll want and do the things which you think are important. Things that are right. That are right, but you don't have to enforce that. They automatically want to do that. So there's a third alternative. Yes, and there's a, there's a big difference between trying to pass on sort of morals and beliefs by forcing them on children and passing them on because you really believe that they are true and that, and that they are right. And, you know, modeling them and teaching children through your example. Because if you're just going to enforce things by authority, children are just going to go, oh yes, I'll do this to keep my parents happy. Not because I like it, not because I believe it's true, but just because my parents think that this is something that has to be done and I'm tired of getting in trouble with them. So I'm going to do this thing because, you know, that'll get them off my back for a while, not because I particularly believe in it. Or they could go the other way and just refuse to do it totally. Exactly. And either way, it's not a situation that's going to end up with what the parent is ideally looking for, which is 
a you know well-educated, well-rounded human being. You don't want kids just to look like they've taken on board everything you've said, all your opinions, your beliefs, your truths, and all that. You want them to actually all that to actually come from within them. Yes, to make it their own. Yes, and to know, for example, what's right and what's wrong. You want to keep kids safe. And I think a lot of their uh, worries that parents have during the teenage years is their kids are going to get into some kind of trouble. Yeah. Yes. And but is that necessarily true? Do you think that all teenagers are just going to go out there if they've got the opportunity and do things that parents don't want them to I, do? I don't think teenagers have an inbuilt desire to do what is wrong and what they shouldn't be doing. I don't think it's something in which they're drawn to doing. No, it's just, it's just written into their DNA. They're going to go out there and they're going to break the law and cause havoc, and they're going to be terrible people if their parents don't keep a tight hold on them. So why do they do it? I mean, why do some teenagers live that sort of lifestyle, which then makes parents worried, and then parents want to keep their kids safe, and they they worry about it so much that they feel they've got no alternative but to make a million rules and keep a tight hold of their teenagers. Again, I think a lot of it comes down to relationships. Um, like if you're too, res- if your parents are too restrictive, then you want to go out and explore and see why you, you know, see all these things that you're missing out on just because your parents say no, you can't do this without as, explanation. As soon as they say no, you can't do this, and they put the foot down and no reason at all, they just say they can't do this. It automatically becomes so much more interesting and irresistible to a child because you know you want to find out why do my parents think this is so bad why is this such a bad thing i want to see for myself whereas if you're friends with your child then you actually have a lot more influence over them because they respect you and and trust your opinions it's better to build from a place of positivity you know you've got a positive relationship with your children and you listen to them they'll listen to you they feel they can share things with you and they're willing to listen to what you have to share with them. So rather than putting your foot down and just saying, no, you can't do this thing, now you can share with your child or say, well, this is this is not something that is probably morally right or, you know, it's not healthy and this is why. And, I mean, they trust you and they're willing to listen to you and now you have influence over, you know, showing them why they should be living good lives and what they shouldn't be doing because... You're in a place where both of you are listening and both of you are respecting each other and both of you are sharing. Okay. What if in the sharing your teenagers express some opinions which don't fall in line with what you believe? In which case you're in a good, you're in a good position because if they feel they can share it with you, then they feel they can discuss it with you and you feel you can discuss it with them. And I mean, if it's, if it's something that they probably shouldn't be, you know, I believe that they shouldn't be expressing or, you know, probably is not falling in line with what you believe is right, then you're in a position where now you can discuss this and you can, you know, have a constructive conversation about it and you're still in a position where, you know, you might be able to mould that belief or discuss why they believe this is true and, you know, share your own opinion and model your own opinion. So you shouldn't just sort of close them down and say, hey, that's a stupid opinion. This is what you should be thinking. No, because they have opinions for reasons. And maybe it might be a wrong opinion and it might be misguided. 
But if you shut them down, they're not going to share with you again. And they're not going to stop believing it just because you say, oh, that's a stupid thing. Why did you think this? You always want to keep the lines of communication open because if they if they're willing to share an opinion with you, that's a good thing. Like you want them to be able to share things with you, even if these things might not be correct. Besides, it might not be a fully formed opinion. It might be something that they're sort of thinking about and and um, exploring. And, exactly, and you don't want to go, "Oh, that's a stupid thing," because they'll never come back with any more ideas that they're exploring because they'll be afraid that they're going to get shut down. You were saying earlier, Imogen, before we actually started recording, that sometimes parents are surprised by their children's opinions because parents aren't always right. Yes. And it's one of the wonderful things about being teenagers is that teenagers are really curious and they're exploring things and they they discover the world and they want to know about the world. And a lot of teenagers will do research, they'll think about things, they'll hear things, they'll want to know more things. And sometimes they can come back and know things that their parents don't know. Or they'll, they'll, they'll have done research that their parents haven't done. And just because their opinion doesn't line up with what the parents' opinion is doesn't automatically mean that teenagers are wrong because teenagers are smart. They are. And I think that if uh, you have been unschooling, you're talking from a be- much better place than most parents as far as a lot of life things goes. Because if you were like me, have gone to school and picked up a lot of false ideas. It's really hard to get rid of them. Yes, whereas unschoolers come from a place where they don't have that. They, they're they allowed to form their own opinions and explore their own things. And they don't have that that one, you know, they don't have these biases that are passed on to them through an education system. I think it affects all sorts of thinking, not just education, though. Yes. That you are questioning more than we ever questioned. We just went through the system. And accepted it. And even you hear so many times parents know that what the ideas that they hold or the education they had is wrong, but they haven't got the courage to do anything about it. And the other thing is that unschoolers are encouraged to go out and look things up and explore things for themselves. And question everything. Exactly. Which is not what is um, recommended in schools. You do what the teacher says and you research only what the teacher tells you to. And outside of that... You don't stray off topic. Yeah, you just, outside of whatever you've got to do for them, who cares? Who who wants to look something else up and cause more work for yourself? Whereas unschoolers are encouraged to be curious and to go out there and think about things for themselves and find out things. So when a teenager comes back with an opinion... I mean, it might still be something that they're exploring, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are wrong. Also, it leads to some wonderful discussions, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's wonderful sharing between teenagers and parents because I feel like teenagers have a lot that they can teach parents as well. Oh, well, quite often, don't I? I come, have some sort of problem, um, some sort of even confidence issue or something like that, and you put me straight about <laughs> a whole lot of things because I'm held back, oh, not so much as I used to be, but there's still times when my old ways of thinking will interfere with what moving forward. Yes. My confidence or not as far as unschooling you kids goes, but in yourself as a person sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, a greater advantage than I ever did. You know, I'm still fighting some of not the education of you kids, as I said, but my personal things. Yes. Okay, well, I suppose it's all those echoes in your head. You know, things like, 
uh, being too afraid to do this or that because I can still hear people telling me what's what a stupid idea that was when yes. I was younger. Or no, you can't do that. You're not you're not good at it, and never giving you the chance to explore things. And those negative voices stay a very long time. They do, and th- because they stay, I they have prevented me from passing them on to you but they still stay inside my head affecting myself. Can you yes. understand that? And I need sometimes for you from the outside to tell me that it's quite okay to try new things or whatever. And to be bad at them and to be bad at, at things for a long time because you're learning and you're exploring and you're not supposed to be good all at once. Yeah, well, uh, we're going to come to the end of our discussion soon, but Sophie, I wanted to ask you about teenagers and getting to know themselves. If we won't let teenagers explore their opinions, right? We're in the safety of their own home and they can't explore their passions as well. How do they ever find out who they are? Is that important? I think so because a lot of the time teenagers are just end up going with, you know, agreeing with what their parents say, even though they don't agree necessarily actually agree with it they say they do and then they go out somewhere and they're with friends and friends have completely different opinions and morals and the teenager is like okay I agree with this as well but in reality they don't know what they believe or what they're what it is that they support because they never have no one gives them the space to talk about it and to form their own opinions and beliefs. Right, so would you say that if, as a teenager, you've had the opportunity to discover yourself, discover what you're interested in, what you believe, or who you are as a person, that it gives you confidence, that you like who you are, that you'll go out into the world and be yourself and not be swayed by other people? Yes. You do that? Yes. So... This is a a wonderful time that parents can give to their teenagers. It's actually essential that they allow them to be get strong like that. Yes, you want to allow teenagers to go out and have an opinion and discuss opinions and understand things and make mistakes and give them a place where they are supported and loved unconditionally so that when they make these mistakes, they're not being told, you're stupid for doing this, but they can explore and find out who they are, what they're passionate about, what they believe in, so that then they can go out into the world and have a strong sense of who they are and not just follow what it, whatever is the strongest opinion. Follow the crowd? Exactly. You want people who can think for themselves and who know what they believe and why they believe it. Okay, Sophie, you've been out there in the world with uh, other people who have different opinions to you, right? Yes. How did you cope? What did you experience? I've always found that I'm I'm fairly solid in what I believe and I've never been afraid to speak my mind. We always joke that I'm over-opinionated on everything and a lot of the times I'm not afraid to stand up and speak for what I believe in and why I believe in it. So how did other people react to you, other teenagers your age who have been brought up differently? How have they reacted to you? Because you're obviously very different from them. Do they, expect, that, do they expect you to just agree with them? There's always that moment of surprise where they go, oh, you're a little bit strange. And I, and I always get that silent little thrill from that. And then <laughs> they always 
start putting their opinions and they they'll have some you know the standard opinions you know things that general people like traditionally brought up people believe in and then they will be talking about it and joking about it and then there's always that moment where I'm like yes but I don't agree and then they'll go but you'll see and I'm like no I won't see I know that what I believe is true so have you ever felt tempted to at least appear like you're that you believe what the majority believes so they'll accept you and be your friends no because I'm confident enough in myself to know that I don't need that I don't need people to agree with me I know I'm what I believe and I'm happy with that and I don't need basically to agree with people for them to be fake friends so it seems to me that if we want to keep our teenagers safe in the world we have to give them their freedom yes we have to allow them the freedom to explore their passions their ideas their opinions try things out make some mistakes and by doing all that teenagers work out who they are gives them confidence and they you will like being who you are, don't you? Oh, yes. You wouldn't want to be anyone else. No. So then you can go out and you'll be totally safe amongst other people because you're not going to bow to pressure to do anything that you feel is wrong, are you? No. You sacrifice yourself doing that. Exactly. So it doesn't sound right, does it? It doesn't sound right that by in giving teenagers their freedom, you're going to keep them safe. It sounds like... By tight, holding on to kids tightly and making lots of rules, you're going to keep them safe, but it's, that's not true. No. And teenagers need space to figure out who they are while it's safe for them to do so. And while parents have a good relation, good enough relationship with them that they can have the discussions and sort of mold their beliefs in, you know, not an authoritative way, but on an equal footing so that teenagers can discuss ideas and beliefs and figure out who they are and parents can ha- can sort of discuss that with them and have influence without having to s- step in and put their foot down and while teenagers still you know are at home and have this time to do it okay now we're going to finish off with a couple of questions here that somebody left on my Instagram account you know i had a post about this particular podcast as i might have said and a few people did leave questions, and I just want to finish up with this couple of questions here. Now, we might already have answered them, but I think it will give us a good um, way to round up, okay? Sounds good. Okay, it says, the question is, could you and the girls talk about radical unschooling? Well, what's radical unschooling? It's letting you have the freedom to make your own choices in more than your education, in all aspects of your life. Yes. Yeah? How you were able to build such a solid level of respect for each other. Well, we talked about that, didn't we? I think so. It's about not tightening up and, and, you know, not becoming authoritative as you get older, but keeping that same level of trust and unconditional love throughout teenage years as well. Keeping the lines of communication open, always being willing to listen. And never shutting someone down because, you know, their idea is stupid. Okay. Accepting your kids for who they are as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. Not trying to mould them along your pathway. Also, 
did you as a mother still maintain a good level of authority for those times when the children really did need your intervention in a situation? <laughs> we were talking about this one before we started and we just and we read that question out, we stopped and looked at each other and went, We've never actually had one of those times. I I cannot remember in the whole time I was a teenager at one moment where my parents had to step in and say, No, you should not be doing that. No, I'm not going to let you do that. We've never had a point, have we, Sophie, where mum and dad have had to step in and, and say, right, I'm putting on, the, I'm putting on the parent boots now and I'm putting my foot down. No, I don't think we've ever had a situation like that. And the reason I think that is, is because we've kept the same relationship our whole lives. We've kept, you know, we're friends with our parents. Mum and I go out and we talk about things all the time and we share opinions and we share ideas and we talk as friends. And I mean, Mum respects me, and I very obviously respect Mum back. And because of that, there's never been a moment where anyone's had to put their authority boots on and, you know, stop any of us from doing something because you have that relationship, and then you can say, well, maybe I'm not sure about this, and you can discuss it if if it becomes an issue, and which most of I don't think we ever have, but if there was an issue, then you can come and say, well, I don't think you know, this might be the best idea, and then you can have that conversation why instead of just saying a flat no. Well, I think also that why it's not a good idea, you have to decide whether it's not a good idea just because it's not the parents' preference. Yes. Or is it really not a good idea because it involves right and wrong? There's two different ways of viewing that, isn't there? Yes. And I think this is what we're going to build up is a sense of the right and wrong within each child so that they never... Well, I say never, but they're less likely to go down the wrong pathway because inside they know it's wrong. Yeah. Yes, and not because the parent has said it's wrong, but because they know it's wrong. And it's also why parents have to learn to trust their children and to let go of their idea of exactly what this child needs to be. You know, everyone has this idea of what their perfect child is going to be, but accept them for who they are. Because is it not a good is it not a good idea because it doesn't suit what the parent wants? Or is it just not a good idea in general? And if it's not a good idea just because it's not the parent's ideal, doesn't necessarily mean it's not good for the child. Yes. So I think that uh, we're talking about how all this has to start when you're young. If you a child has been used to having their freedom and being able to talk and has been building up that sense of right and wrong within them, the mistakes they're going to make when they're young, they make the mistake, right? And then they realize that that's a mistake. But it's not like you get to teenage years and they're going to dive in and make a huge mistake. It's uh, They've already been building up this trust and this respect. It's not, You see what I'm getting at? Yes. That um, the mistakes we're talking about are nothing like, oh, this is absolutely wrong, don't do it. It's just little things, really, aren't they? Yes, and you learn th- and you learn through the little things. You don't suddenly get to a teenage years and there's all these temptations around and you think, God, I'm going to go now and uh, make this huge mistake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? You've been that you've been making little mistakes all along the way, like I do, or everybody does. But just because you're a teenager doesn't mean you're going to just sort of dive into a new level of mistakes. If you've been exploring and being trusted all the way along, you're never going to get to the stage where you're going to want to go out there and make a big mistake. Yeah, maybe not explaining that very well. But if you've already been trusted all your life, you're not suddenly going to 
uh, sweep aside all that you have been building up, your sense of right and your sense of wrong, and sacrifice all that just so you can go and make a big mistake. No, of course not. Think so? What do you think, Sophie? No, obviously. No, because, um, yes, it's something that you've got to continue doing from the early, well, I suppose you can start doing it. It's never, it's never too, too late. late, but it takes more building up the relationship between, um, parent and child, the older the child is, because you've got to make all that repair, all those repairs that you've, have, yes, all the harm that the damage that has already happened. But it's, it's most important to have this relationship in your teenage years. Yeah, but it's better if it's a continuation of. Don't interrupt it. This is what I'm saying. Yes, don't interrupt it because then we'll all get into trouble. If you just carry on, things will be fine. Yes, because that child is not going to suddenly make a huge mistake because they've already are. Trusting and respecting you and listening to you, that type of thing? Yes. Do you agree with that, Sophie? Yes. But of course, if a child has been, doesn't, well, you don't have that relationship with a child, as I said, you can't just throw your hands up in the air and say, well, it's too late, because it's never too late. No, it just means that maybe it'll take a bit more work. Maybe you have to be a lot more patient. But it's never too late to build that up and to repair any damage done earlier. No, it doesn't. It just means that parents, yeah, as you said, have to be patient and they have to do a lot of changing themselves. Yes. Yeah? Absolutely. Because you can't expect to be the same person yourself and and then expect the relationship to change. You've got to change something with what you're doing before you can expect anything else to change. And you have to expect it to take time because... If you, if you're in a place where there's no trust and respect, that takes a long time to build. So if it's not happening immediately, you know, you make a change and it, it doesn't snap, everything's better. It doesn't mean that you're not making progress. It just means it's going to take a while. Yeah, you can't just sort of say, well, that was a stupid idea. Exactly. I- Start it and then two weeks later go, well, this doesn't work. It's going to be the same with anybody. If you, if you're trying to repair things between two adults, it's going to take just as long. So, don't give up on your teenagers just yet is what I want to say. And I would like to say that if you already have a good relationship and your teenage, your children have got to the teenage years, don't spoil it. Yes. Don't tighten up. Don't lose what you have already got because that would be losing something absolutely wonderful. Yes, because teenage years might be scary for parents. You might have lots of insecurities and doubts about what you're doing. You know, you might want, you might really want that safety blanket. But what you really need is just to be there for your teenagers as they're going through the scary changing years. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing all that. I hope that we answered all those questions adequately. I suppose we can always come back next week if uh, people have questions and say that they would like us to expand on this or that or they didn't quite understand what we were getting at. We can always come back and continue a little bit next week, can't we? Exactly. There are always more episodes. That's right. That's the good thing about episodes. (laughs) Endless episodes. What you think that I should have run out of things to say about your lives by now? (laughs) No, you can't run out. We're still living them. (laughs) There'll always be something new content every day. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't look. uh, That's a wonderful way of looking at it, isn't it? Okay, then Imogen, just tell us where everybody can find you online. So you can find me on Instagram at Imogen Elvis or on my website, which is ImogenElvis.com or on YouTube at Write, Rewrite, Read. I thought your Instagram account was called Write, Rewrite, Read. It is, but is that my handle? 
I don't believe it's my handle. No, your handle is, I think, Imogen Elvis. She has yes, two so, accounts, so, so it's kind of confusing. Yes, the screen name is Write, Rewrite, Read. The handle, I believe, is at Imogen Elvis. But I'm sure we can add a link to that in the show notes if you want to find me. Yeah, because you're getting a bit confusing here. Too many accounts. <laughs> this is the trouble with having ideas and creating new accounts. Exactly. You don't ever do anything the the simple way. No. All right, um, and you'll find Sophie's wonderfully edited videos on YouTube at your account. Yes. Right, we write, read. Can we find you anywhere else? Are you posting anything at the moment? No, I'm kind of silent. <laughs> okay, well, I'm a ghost. <laughs> She's the silent hand behind many of our creations. Well, when you get back into action, which I'm sure you will... We will send people off to your Instagram because you are there and you also do have a YouTube channel. And I can be found on Instagram too at Stories of an Unschooling Family and of course my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family and YouTube, Sue Elvis, which doesn't sort of match, does it? (laughs) I've been thinking about that. I should have started that as Stories of an Unschooling Family as well. And you can subscribe to this uh, podcast through Apple Podcasts or Podbean or just go to your favorite podcast app, and I also embed it on my blog. I don't think I've told people that for a while. <laughs> also, we also haven't said, please write us some reviews, because they do help spread the word about our podcast, don't they, girls? They do, and they also let us know that you are enjoying what we're saying and that you find it useful. So, And if you can't think of anything to say... Just give us a five-star rating. Yes. <laughs> we would love some five-star ratings, please. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to finish off. I've got a review. This came in oh, a week or so ago, but it was from January because I only get notified about reviews once a month. And so as I haven't had any reviews for absolutely months, I've got to share this one. Is that okay, girls? I think that's an excellent idea. And it's from HS Parent. 55 from the USA. Perhaps you can read it, Imogen. So they say, I started listening to your podcast about seven months ago here in Seguin, Texas. I found you because of your YouTube on Evernote and started using Evernote for our unschooling adventures. Since then, I finally caught up with all the episodes and I use a lot of the information with our two boys. I've come to feel as though I know your whole family with the exception of the two eldest but I've shared in many of your triumphs and heartbreaks. I've read The Crystal Tree as well. Oh, exciting. <laughs> I love you all and always look forward to the next podcast. Thanks. Isn't it lovely? Caught up on all my episodes, 146 of them, and this one's 147. That's a lot of hours. <laughs> it is. A big feat. A big round of applause for our reviewer. So thank you. We really appreciated that, didn't we? Oh, we did. Okay, then. And so we should thank everybody for listening to us today. We hope that what we've said has been helpful. Any questions, hop over to my blog or Instagram, catch us somewhere. And until next time, love, trust. (laughs) And until next time, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Thank you.